Again, my name is Scott Heiberger. I'm so blessed to be able to be here this morning with you all. I'm here with my beautiful wife, Danielle. She's back there, my best friend. Come on, husbands, those that find a wife, find a, find a good thing. Am I right? That's, that's when you say, yes, all right. Good morning. So, you know, I was thinking about what Nathaniel was saying in the beginning. I can't help but to think about just the kindness of God, that joy of the Lord. In my hope this morning as I testify of the kindness of God, the goodness of God, and just his mercy is just so rich and his grace is just so wide, it just wrecks me of the kindness of God. If you come here and you're feeling that downcast, I hope that you leave encouraged, that you experience the joy of the Lord in some way, that the kindness of God will touch your heart the way that he continues to touch mine day after day, week after week, year after year. You know, uh, I was that kid in the neighborhood that everybody wanted to move away. Anybody know when I'm that kid? <laughs> and I was just, I, I started out just a terror to my neighborhood. I used to break into our neighbor's houses. There was, a, there was an elderly woman that, that lived next door, and I used to go in and, like, steal her glasses and hide them and stuff. I was like that kid. If you had some nice windows that you were putting into your house, if you had some nice windows that you were putting in your house, I, I was trying to find some rocks maybe to throw them through the windows. I was <laughs> so that, that, that's really what I, I started out doing that. And, you know, and before I knew it, I was 12 years old, drinking, using drugs, and committing crimes, and getting arrested. And little did I know that I was stepping behind the wire of an invisible prison. I had no idea. There's people here today that you don't have to be behind some prison fences, that you can be a prisoner right where you sit in church this morning. That you could be in a spiritual prison this morning, that you can be bound by, it could be guilt or shame, or maybe it's depression, or maybe that you live in fear every day. And that you could walk in here as a prisoner, and, 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 and I stepped behind the wire, and I became a prisoner at a very young age, and I didn't even, I didn't realize it until many years later that I was a prisoner whether I was incarcerated or whether I was out doing whatever I was doing in the comfort of my own home. And here I was, 12 years old, I stepped into the system and I was that person that many of you may know, maybe you're here this morning and you're, you're that person, that you were, you're stuck in that cycle of, of some kind of, of prison of drugs or alcohol. Well, I got incarcerated and I landed in a juvenile detention center and then I became a regular customer to the local juvenile detention centers, they knew me by name, but they didn't call me by, they didn't call me Scott back then when I'd come in because everybody seen the movie The Christmas Story, they all called me Ralphie. Apparently, if I had a, if I had a picture to put on the screen, that you guys would be, you guys would be laughing if you seen it, like I could have been his stunt double, all right? So everywhere that I went, I was Ralphie, and uh, you know, and that didn't go over too good. As my wife would say, it went over like a lead balloon in my life. So I wasn't happy about it. <laughs> but uh, you know, I got into so much trouble, and then I went to juvenile prisons, and then I got, uh, then I graduated to adult jails, and then adult prisons. And I was just that person that was in that cycle. I was always in a lot longer than I was out. I would get in trouble very quickly. Never really gained anything in my life because I wasn't out long enough to accomplish anything to really gain. Uh, any kind of, you know, something of value, and so I would be out very quickly, I would go back in for a long time, and then I would jump from house to house and family to family. You know, somebody said once that drugs and alcohol ruined my life, and I've never used a drug or an alcohol. 
Somebody, some of you might be thinking that today, that your, your life has been so affected by drugs and alcohol and you've never took a drink and you never took a drug because there's someone that you love. Because every time they get incarcerated, every time that they fall on their face, that you're in it with them. That you're bound into that thing as well. You're, you're locked in with them as well. And, and I was taking my family through this mess with me. And fast forward, I've, I went to prison a few times. And then by the time I was 28 years old, I had about 30 arrests on my record. And this just became my identity. It went from this is what I did to who I became. I was the career criminal. I didn't get invited to family reunions because nobody wanted me around for good reason. You couldn't trust me as far as you can throw me. I didn't know anything about God. I didn't grow up in a Christian household. I was just wide open, no rhyme, no reason, no target for my life. Just a trail of devastation everywhere that I went. And that was the way that I lived. And I was living in a halfway house when I was about 28 years old. I was dating a girl. She got pregnant. We ended up, uh, my life was a mess at this point. I was heavily into drugs and crack cocaine, and that just turned my life upside down and all around terrorizing everybody that ever knew me because of how, how wild and crazy that my, my life had become and how just, um, just a mess of, of, of my mind and the way that I thought and the, just how I did things were just so outside, so far outside of what in the average person would think or, or what they would do, the lengths I would go uh, in this devastating lifestyle that I was living. But I was choosing it. And here I am in a, in a halfway house. Uh, I was dating a girl. We ended up going to a horror movie for horror entertainment, and it was, a, it was the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose. And I'm sitting in this movie theater. I'm sitting in the movie theater, and I'm watching this movie, and I began to experience the presence of God. Strange as that is, here I am in a horror movie about exorcisms, and I'm experiencing the presence of God, and that even though I didn't know anything about God, I didn't know that I even believed in God at this time, I knew it was him. How many of you know when God's spirit, when God's presence shows up, you become aware? And as soon as I became aware, I started shaking like a leaf and crying and, and went out to the parking lot with my girlfriend, and I'm trying to explain to her and what just happened in the movie theater, and I couldn't put words to it because I didn't even understand what was happening? We ended up going back to her apartment, and I looked into the yellow pages. Everybody, you guys remember them, right? All the young people's like, "What is that?" <laughs> Books with phone numbers in them. There wasn't apps back then. So here I am. I'm I'm looking through the yellow pages, and I'm looking at Christian churches, but I didn't even know what type of church to look for. But somehow I knew it was Christ. Somehow I knew it was Christ. And I'm trying to find answers. I couldn't get a hold of anybody. The very next day, I got picked up on a felony warrant that I didn't know that I had. There was a setup by God. See, I had been arrested 30 times at that point, and I've never did what I'm about to tell you. When I came into jail that time, I said, I need a Bible. I need a Bible. And I, and I began to search the scriptures, looking for answers, trying to find out what had happened to me in that, in that movie theater and two weeks later, I got invited to a church service in the county jail. And I heard the gospel of Jesus Christ for the first time. And my heart was ready to hear that good news. And it, and, and it, and it got to the place in my heart that it was necessary after all that pride, all that rebellion that was crushed and being humbled over the years over and over and over again. 
I was ready to hear that good news. And when it was time to come forward, I responded with a heart that was truly repentant. And I put my faith in Christ and something powerfully happened. It changed the course of my life. See, I had a trail of devastation around everywhere around my life, so I had to reap what I had sowed. My life didn't just automatically ramp up and everything got better, but I had changed. Thank God for ministers that go into jails and prisons. Thank God for them, that they come in there to share the gospel, to share the good news, because there's guys like me and there's women just like me that they're running around so crazy and so out of their mind. They need... God to throw a jail or a prison in front of them to stop them, to slow them down, not only to save their life, but to save their soul. You know, uh, I think about the scripture in Romans 10, 20, when I think about my life and what happened to me, it, it reads like this, and Isaiah boldly says, I was found by those who did not seek me, and I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. See, you might have been invited to church today, and you don't even know why you're here, but God does. God's, God's very present in your life, looking into your life, and he has a plan for your life before you even get a clue. God tapped on my shoulder in that movie theater that day because he had a plan for my life the whole time. I just didn't know about it. And when I answered the call of God, literally all hell broke loose on my life on a, on a whole nother level. See, my life didn't get miraculously better, but I got better in the inside because I repented and I put my faith in Christ after I heard the gospel. And something incredible happened in that moment as well. Is that I had a fear of death that terrorized my life, my whole life. When I was about five or six years old, I was at a family function, and as weird as this is, a cat died, and a family member explained to me what death was. And I didn't understand this at the time, but a spirit of fear came into my life and began to terrorize me all my life. And the irony of my life is that I was terrified of death, but at the same time, I was living on the edge of death. And when I professed Christ, when I heard that good news and I professed Christ, that spirit of fear came off of me. And it was with me my whole life. I didn't even realize how heavy it was until it came off. And in that moment, I'm, I'm, I got tears in my eyes, and I'm, I'm talking to the guys that are up there with me, and I'm like, if I die, I know where I'm going. And that was a part of my terror, the unknown of where death was going to lead, what was going to happen. And when that freedom came and God's spirit came in, everything in me changed. Everything around me stayed the same. I had my work cut out for me, but the, the heavy lifting got done when I put my faith in Christ. That what he already did on the cross. I went off to prison. My son was born while I was in prison. I held him for the first time in the, in the, in the prison visiting room. I'm looking at him. I'm telling him I'm going to be there for him. I'm going to be his father. I'm looking at this woman. I'm telling her that I'm going to make things right. I'm a Christian now. I'm going to marry you. And I get out of there. And she had different plans. That she left me and said, I don't want nothing to do with you. Or I don't want our son to have anything to do with you. And it crushed me. I felt that heaviness, that crushing of my life, like Nathaniel was speaking about this morning, that downcast, even though that God had done something so powerful, I thought immediately my life was about to ramp up. I'm a Christian. I'm on God's team now. Things are going to be different. They began to be different, but there was a whole lot of mess to deal with because my plans and God's plans aren't always the same. I'm not always on the same plan as God. Does anybody know what I'm talking about this morning? 
I thought that this, was, this is what it was going to be, but God had something different. He had something different in mind. And so that shook me up. I didn't get connected to a local church in the body of Christ. And it's so vital to get connected to the local church, to get under the covering of the church and to get planted and rooted. I didn't have any conception at this time. So here I am trying to do what I can do, and I'm hanging around all the same people. God had done something significant, but before you know it, I went back into my vomit. I went back into that, that old because what I like to say, the stronger culture wins. I, always had this, I had the kingdom of God in seed form, but in my mind, it was a, a raging mess still. I had to partner with God. That fancy word, sanctification, I needed my mind to get in line to what happened with my spirit, with God. And so here I am. I go back into this messy lifestyle, and before I know it, I was so crushed that I listened to the lies of the enemy, and I felt like maybe the world would be better without me. And I believed that line. I put 40-something stitches in my arm under the pressure. And by the grace of God, here I am. I'm still alive today. And I'm so grateful when I was ready to quit, when I was ready to give it in, that God was still fighting for me. Aren't you glad? Is there anybody glad here when you were giving up, when you were throwing in the towel? God was like, I'm still here. I'm still fighting. I'm still battling for you. I'm still believing in you. Somebody might be sitting here today and you're thinking about like, you know, your life is at a place right now where you just feel like that there's no way out. But every breath that you're breathing is the evidence that God's not done with you. If we're not, if we're not dead, God's not done. He's not through. Every breath that you're breathing is the evidence that he's not done. You're looking for a reason. I just gave you one. God's in control of every breath that you're breathing. We ain't breathing by ourselves. God is right there present giving you the breath of life. That scared me, you know, that, you know, that all that that was going on at that time. And, you know, my, my ex-girlfriend at the time ended up feeling sorry for me and allowed me to have my son for the night. At this time, he was one and a half years old. And, you know, I ended up having him over at my place. And within a few hours, I got drunk with him, with me. And I ended up packing him up in his baby seat in my car and driving to a drug house. And I locked him in the car. And I went in there and I got my drugs and I came out and he had crawled out of his baby seat and he was terrified that I had left him alone in the dark in a vehicle. And this is, this is such a low moment in my life, such a sickening moment in my life. And I ended up getting, getting him out of the car and he was so terrified. He was, he was crying. He was so afraid. I ended up, I was trying to hold him. I tried to put him in the baby seat. He wouldn't go into the baby seat because he was too afraid. And then I ended up driving back to my, my place with him, holding him in one arm, driving drunk, and then smoking crack with my other hand. That's how messed up my mind still was. But I want you to know something. When I professed Christ, when I heard that gospel, and I truly repented, and I put my faith in Christ, something truly happened. There was still so much mess in my mind. And as I'm trying to fight through this thing, you know, how many know that your sin will find you out? And his mother found out within a few hours, and she said, you'll never have your son again. For good reason. Took him back and said, you'll never have him. And here I was. I had some open felony cases in my life. I had all these arrests on my life. My life was being crushed on every side. I felt like that my life was without worth. That I had, everybody was sick of me. I was sick of me. And again, I'm listening to the voices of the enemy, thinking that the world would be better without me that I can't get it right, so here I am, I'm at this place again, 
where I'm ready to die. So here I, here I was. This time I was committed on another level to, to take myself out because I couldn't handle this life that I was living. So I took a bunch of pills. I drank a bunch of alcohol, and I thought for sure that I was going to be dead. About five hours later, I woke up still alive, and I was shocked that I wasn't dead, completely and utterly shocked that I was not dead this time. And I was completely sober with no hangover, like I had nothing to drink or no drugs, and I could hear the Holy Spirit whispering, it ain't over till I say it's over. Here I am again. God in his kindness. I left a devastation. I put my son in danger. I did all these things to my family. I heard all these people used, all these people lied, cheated, steal, just a total terror to everybody that ever know me, and the kindness of God still protecting me, even from myself, so present in my agony and in my pain. So present, near to the brokenhearted, as close as my breath, even in my agonizing lifestyle. When I didn't deserve it. How many of you know his mercy is just so rich? His grace is so wide. You know, I, 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 was, I was afraid that this didn't ha that I wasn't able to kill myself. I called a family member. I called my father in Florida, and I asked him if I could come and stay with him. And, you know, I just wanted to get out from Indiana and just go down there and try to get away from it all. He gave me the rules. You drink, you use any drugs, you're out. Within 24 hours, I was drunk. He kicked me out on the street. Now here I was at a place in my life where all those years before, I'm like 30 years old at this point, all those years before, like I said, I would be in a lot longer than I was out. I would be out very short, and I'd get in a bunch of trouble quickly, and I'd be back. So I, was, I would jump from house to house. You know that person. Somebody knows. You might even be that person today that you're jumping from house to house. You're jumping from family to family. Or maybe you have somebody in your life that, that you know that that person, that person that you love and you care about, and you're just you, you, in the front of your mind, you're thinking, Jesus can do this. But in the back of your mind, you're shaking your head. You don't, you don't think, yeah, maybe not him. Maybe not her. I don't know. But I was jumping from house to house, person to person, all these years. And now, after I got kicked out on the street of my father in Florida, I didn't know anybody in the state of Florida but my dad. So when I came out on the street this time, I had no house to jump to. I had no friend to call. So I began to live a homeless existence. I was that, that guy that you see at the corner gas station standing out there begging for change, holding signs, sleeping on the side of buildings, sleeping in the woods, sleeping out on the beach, wherever I could crawl up into something, maybe in the dumpster when it's cold, just living like an animal, living way less than what God had intended for my life. But here I was living on the street, living like an animal, begging for change. And, uh, you know, one day I got up enough change to, to get, get my, go to the liquor store, and I went and got my, my bottle of booze in my paper bag, and I'm walking down the street, and those of you that know anything about Florida is that, that you can't walk around drinking out there, or they'll get you quick. So I had to go find a spot to go drink, and so I went under this bridge, and I drank this, this bottle, and I threw it out, and then I ended up walking down the street by this homeless shelter, and there was a guy out there. And him and I was out there talking, and then we start talking about Jesus. I'm probably the only one out here that's ever been drunk talking about Jesus, right? 
audience of one, right? So I'm out there, just a mess of my life, tore up, out on the street. Now I just had some drinks, and I'm standing out there, and we start talking about Jesus. And he says, I, I want to go into this homeless shelter. He was staying in there. He's like, I want, you, I want you to hear this CD. And he comes, and he grabs a CD player with a little headset, and he brings it out. And I start listening to it, and it's a preacher talking about potential talking about calling, that there's so many people in the world, they have no idea that God has a calling and a purpose on their life, and they're just living no rhyme, no reason, no target for their life, just up, down, and all around. And he says, I tell you the truth, that there's a homeless man drinking out of a paper bag right now under a bridge that will out-preach anybody in this church. Come on. So present. Here I am out on the street living like an animal and God is speaking identity. That you're my son, that I got a calling, that I got a purpose, that I got something for you to do and I've got something for you to say. There's so many people wandering around that God's got something for them to do and something for them to say and they ain't got no clue. But God will set up these opportunities. Maybe you're here this morning and you're at church and you're coming to church because you think it's the right thing to do, but God has a, a calling and a purpose on your life. He's given you gifts. He's given you potential. He wants to give you his spirit to empower you to fulfill it all. And to get busy, to be a part of the local church, to get planted, to get rooted, to see this potential come out. Because we could be spiritual hobos jumping from church to church and never get planted and rooted and really come to fruition what God has called in you. To see it come out. To get under the covering of the local church and for God to be able to bring that out. I'm going to be talking about that here in a moment about what God did for me. And it's, I'm, just, I'm so grateful today for the local church. I'm so passionate about what the church represents. It's the hope of the world. The bride of Christ, the hope of the world. You know, uh, I'm out there living, living like that and I ended up hitchhiking 2,000 miles to Arizona. I'm like, all right, I, you know, that, that shook me up and I'm like, I got to get out of this state. Because I felt like every, you know, any, if I could just get away from this person, place, or thing, or this state, or this county, that things would be all right. I had no idea. No matter where I went, I'd bring me with me. Coincidentally, every time I went somewhere, all the same problems and the same things were happening. It wasn't the judge or the police or the family member or the friend or that county or that city. It was me. It was me. But it took me a long time to figure that out. And here I was hitchhiking 2,000 miles. You know, when people talk about, you know, it's a little bit rainy out, I can't make it to church. I'm like, man, you better get serious. It got quiet. Somebody's in here doing that, ain't you? <laughs> you know, I was, I was taking this trip 2,000 miles, and I, I was going from, like, you know, uh, truck stop to truck stop, hitchhiking, getting rides, sleeping outside. One night I, it was a cold night, and I ended up uh, crawling into a dumpster because it was freezing out, and I ate in a couple of days, and it, I was just in bad shape. And I was laying in this dumpster thinking about how did I get here, tired in agony, in my, you know, 31 years old, just tired, dozens of rests on my record, just brought so much pain to my life, so much pain to everybody that ever knew me, and I'm literally, my, my life was in a bucket of trash at this moment. 
and I'm laying there and I'm just begging God to kill me. I'm begging for him to just take my life because I'm just sick of it. Everybody's sick of me. I'm sick of me. I just want to be done with it. I haven't eaten and I'm just so hungry and I'm so tired and I'm just feeling so lonely in my life. And I heard footsteps through the night. I'm, um, I have tears in my eyes and in the morning I hear footsteps coming to the dumpster and I grab some garbage and kind of bury myself so somebody doesn't freak out by seeing some guy laying in the dumpster, right? So I put some garbage over me. I hear something drop in. I hear the footsteps walk away. And I crawl up out of the garbage and I look. And it's a, it's a cardboard box and it's full of hot food like pizza pockets, chicken fingers, french fries. All the kind of stuff that I really loved at that point in my life. Part of my testimony is my wife said, you still do, but she, she's, she'd be dishonest. She's not telling the truth. She lies sometimes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Part of my, so a whole, a whole box, I didn't realize it because I was so out of my mind that I was behind a gas station and they were throwing away their, that, all, that food from the night, all that hot food from the night. So literally, I'm in a dumpster getting a big hot meal and my testimony is that God loved me so much that he sent room service to a dumpster. Come on. Come on, isn't he that good? He loves you that much, doesn't he? He loved me that much that he saw me in, in, that, in that place being crushed and want to quit. And again, he's there saying, you're my son. I love you. In your mess, I love you. I got a plan. I have something greater. Come on, Jeremiah 29, 11, right? That I got plans to prosper you and not to harm you. That I got a future and a hope that I have an expected end for you. He's coaching me through this thing, loving me through this mess that I'm putting myself through. And I went out to Arizona, lived homeless out there for a while. And I ended up get, talking to some family into getting me back to Indiana to turn myself in because I had left so much trouble there as I ran away, tried to run away from it. And before I got a chance to turn myself in, I went out with some friends and ended up getting some more felony charges that night. Had to do time on that. They sent me off to prison after I got done with that other one. Went back to that old county and had to deal with all that and do some years in prison. But I picked my Bible back up. And I was reading Jeremiah 29, 13. If you seek me with your whole heart, you'll find me. And here I was pursuing God with my whole heart, desperate. Hungry, wanting a life change, wanting to do something differently. Again, thank God for ministers and for volunteers that come to the incarcerated population. Because people were seeing, they were coming in there and they were seeing the potential. They were seeing the gifts. They were seeing the calling and they were identifying it. They were putting their finger on that and saying, I see this in you. There's something greater for your life. Something beyond this. I began to learn the Bible in a, in a deeper perspective, and I, I'm, I'm teaching Bible studies. I preached my first sermon while I was in prison. And I have volunteers helping me, bringing those gifts and that, that, that calling to my mind to see it for myself and to begin to believe that there's something greater than this for me and that lifestyle. You know, and God was doing some radical things in there, and then I get out. I'm doing good, a couple of weeks go by, and I get lonely. So I called up an ex-girlfriend. Don't do that. Exes are exes for a reason, people. Don't let loneliness 
drive you backwards. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Don't let loneliness drive you backwards. That new thing that God is doing in you is not going to fit in that old thing. It's going to break. God puts new wine in new, into, into the new wineskin and not the new wine into the old wineskin. That new thing that he's doing with you is not going to be contained in that old relationship. Let it go. Somebody needs, me to hear, somebody needs to hear that. You know what? Before I knew it, I was all the way back into everything within a month, and I was back on a parole violation looking like a fool. I said, okay, God, I get it. So then that was... That was the moment where I was like, all right, God, it's me and you, and I'm going to keep going fully with you, and then you're, you're, you figure out all those things, but I'm, I'm going to be safe with you, and I'm going to walk with you. And when I got out, of, and I stepped out of prison while I was still in prison. See, the, wor the world can't wrap their head around that God would send a person to prison to set them free. That I was actually in prison, and I stepped out of prison while I was still there. Because that goes back to that invisible prison, that spiritual prison, because I was bound no matter where I went. I was bound no matter where I went, whether I was behind those wires or whether I was sitting in my living room. I was, I was a maximum security prisoner, and I needed to be set free. And who the sun sets free is free indeed. And when I stepped out of prison that last time, and, 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 and here's what happened. I didn't have any clothes. All I had was the clothes. I had some clothes on. I had clothes on, all right? I was about to say I didn't have any clothes. I had the clothes I was wearing, and that's it. I didn't have any money. I didn't have a driver's license. I didn't have a car. I didn't have any friends or family out there rooting for me because I had burned all those bridges. But I had Christ. I had Christ, and I had no more excuses. When I got out of there, people were telling me to go to NA meetings, go to AA meetings. They said go to 90 meetings in 90 days. I went to these meetings. I wasn't chasing a higher power. I was chasing Jesus Christ through these rooms. And I didn't go to 90 meetings in 90 days. I went to 200 meetings in 180 days. Because just the way that God made me to just go after life in the way that I was going the wrong way, when, God, when, when I made a decision with Christ, I just took that and brought it that way. And God just began to just open up all kinds of doors around me. I found a church. God led me to a church within a week of getting out of prison that time. And it was about seven, eight miles away. I didn't have a driver's license, like I said. So I learned when I was homeless, I learned how to walk. Right? I learned how to ride a bicycle. And I wasn't letting that hold me back, that I don't have a ride to church. And I, this, was a, this, was a big multi, this was a big mobile church at this point. They were loading in and loading out every Sunday. You know what? So I became a part of the load-in team immediately within a week or two. And here I am. I'm loading in. I'm riding my bicycle in the dark, sometimes in the snow, sometimes in the rain, seven, eight miles to church so I can help load equipment in. With tears in my eyes, grateful that I could be a part of the team. That it didn't matter where I, where I was at, where I was located in the church. I didn't care. I just wanted to be a part of the family. I just wanted to be a part of the team. And that hasn't changed. Put me in, coach. I'm just grateful that I could be a part of God's family. I'm not used to being accepted by anybody. And you know what? And when I burned all those bridges of all those people around me, and as I was riding my bike to church, and as I was walking, and as I was getting to all these different activities, 
People began to see it, and God put a new set of people around me. He put the body of Christ around me. God set me up with the local church, with the body of Christ, and they, they circled around me, and they helped me in a way that I could never help myself, that I needed the body of Christ. I needed a church that was welcoming to knuckleheads like me, the, to the downcast, to the criminal, to the drug addict, to the alcoholic, that they could see that potential, that God doesn't make any junk, that God made me on purpose, for a purpose by him. And God put those people around me, and they began to help me. And they begin to walk with me and show me how to live in a practical way. Not just reading the Bible and knowing what scripture says. How do I live this? Teach me how to live this out practically in my life. And I began to serve everywhere. And after about a year of this, I got invited to a Bible study in my church. And I landed right across the table from my wife. I didn't have to go up the road or down the street or online. I didn't have to do none of that. Got quiet when I said it. Somebody... Somebody went up the street or down the road, didn't you? <laughs> I followed God with my whole heart. She was doing the same, and we intersected. She literally landed across the table from me. I didn't have to go this way or that way. I was focused on Christ, and I landed right in front of her. And she fell in love with me immediately, of course. <laughs> She's like, I didn't even like you. hilarious so you know I was an usher at this time and uh after I, I this was a big church so I didn't even know I was in the church for a year I never even seen her before and so when we're in this study um you know I become a, I'm like I'm an usher in the church at this point and uh, she was walking in one morning and I recognized her. I was like good morning and she just walked right by didn't even acknowledge me <laughs> like it's like what's this girl's problem <laughs> right so we ended up at a, uh, an outreach with this Bible study, and we were out in uh, the inner city in Chicago, and we got a chance to, like, hang out with the group and got to talking for about eight hours that day. And I never mentioned anything about uh, jail, prison, drugs, alcohol. Somehow that slipped my mind, you know. <laughs> you know, I'm a, I, 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 honestly, I had to have been very strategic because that was, like, my whole resume at that point, right? <laughs> so... So, you know, at the end of the day, we ended up going home, and I felt, I felt guilty about it. I felt bad, you know, that I really didn't tell her anything about it. So I did what any mighty man of God would do. I sent her a Facebook message. <laughs> and uh, her response was even funnier. She was like, she, after she heard the rap sheet, she was like, wow. She was like, she was like kind of intrigued, and she's like, do you want to go get something to eat? So... <laughs> So you know it's God's plans when she hears a record like that and she's still interested in talking, like, because God was already ministering to her about me, and I had no idea the way that God was ministering to me about her as well. And, you know, uh, being that I'm a fancy guy and everything, I took her out to Denny's for our first date. <laughs> and so we're going to be celebrating nine years of mar marriage this year, and we go to Denny's every year for our anniversary. We don't want to forget what God has done. Come on, somebody. You know, uh, we, uh, I, ended up, we ended, I ended up applying to be an intern. I became a full-time intern at this church. She came on right along with me, and we just we went fully into to ministry at the same time. And as I was uh, an intern, we, we uh, got an opportunity to put in an application at a prison that I'd lived in. And by a miracle, God opened that door to that prison. And uh, 
we're, we're, we get in our first prison and God's doing all these incredible things. Then we got into another prison in the county jail and, you know, God has really turned my life around. We're doing a great work for God. And, you know, at this point, uh, I'm trying to get back into my son's life that I, that I had lost that, res- that privilege. And I got into the courtroom and found out that uh, my ex-girlfriend had gotten married and her husband adopted my son. I wasn't on the birth certificate because I was incarcerated. And I found out that he was adopted and the judge said, basically, you're dead in the water. There's nothing that can be done. It has nothing to do with paternity. He's been officially adopted, so there's nothing that can be done. It hit my heart. You know, God is doing these incredible things. He's turned my life around. He's given me a wife in a ministry and just, you know, he's doing exceeding, just exceeding our, our you know, our, our just our minds and our, imagine, our imaginations. And here I am and and it, but but I got to deal with these things, you know. You know, I had to, all these painful decisions that I made. If somebody's listening to me today, I I I I did a lot of terrible things, and I had to start facing up to those things. And it was painful that I have to. So uh, as a man sows, he shall reap. And you know, there is a law of the harvest. And, and and as I was facing these things, and as all these great things were happening, all these hard things were happening. At my second year, I, I graduated the first year internship. Went on to the second year. My mom gets diagnosed with cancer. I end up leading her to Christ by the grace of God, you know, that she got into her last one and a half years of her life that she, uh, she was a Christian. And I got to be there while she took her last breath. That was a hard thing to walk through. It was a difficult thing to walk through. So life was happening. Difficult things were happening as I was facing them. But God was doing all these incredible things that it wasn't easy. That As God was giving me more responsibility and influence, there was more pressure. There was more pain. There was more consequences of things that I had to deal with and I had to fight through on a, on a whole nother level. But God kept opening door after door. Before you know it, I'm graduating uh, the second year internship. I got onto our leadership team. We're in about a half dozen prisons at this time. I ended uh, a few years later. We're in like ten year, ten prisons all around Indiana. We're ministering to thousands of prisoners at this point. That God is just opening up all these opportunities in these doors, and He's blowing our mind on what He's doing. And I end up applying to go into a juvenile prison that I had once lived at, and once I had lived at, you know, for like 25 years earlier, and that door got opened through the application process, and then all of a sudden a felony warrant came up from 10 years earlier when I was in Florida, and it red flagged me. At this point in time, I was now a licensed pastor. I was our prison pastor in a thriving prison ministry with my wife, and we're doing a great work, and now I can't go in one prison. It, done, it shut me all the way out of all of it. And, you know, for me and my house, we had already done put a line in the sand that we're going to serve God no matter what. I found out that downstate uh, in Florida that it was a non-extraditable warrant, so if I don't go near Florida, I could stay up here and be safe. But for me, you know, I relate with the Apostle Paul when he says that God has given me a grace to the Gentiles. I believe before I was ever even born that God has given me a grace to the incarcerated population. That he's anointed me and he has called me to that ministry. And for me not to be, to not be able to do that, what's the even point? So I fear God more than I fear the consequences of going down there and face this thing. So for me, I find out it's a 20-year sentence that's hanging over my head and I got to go down there and face it. I could stay up here and be safe or go down there and face it. And for me, I had to go. I had to go down there and face this thing. How am I going to, 
How am I going to be able to lead someone somewhere that I've never been myself? Because there's people facing things all over the country. And I, I'm, if I'm going to be a good leader, I'm going to have to go first. Good leaders say, show me. That, you know, that come, come follow me. Come follow me. So here I am. I go down there and I face this thing. But here, back when I was committing those crimes, when I was homeless on the street, if I had a quarter in a pocket with nobody to call, if I had a quarter in a pocket, I had nobody to call. But now... There's people getting on planes, flying a thousand miles to stand with me, to be there for me, to be witnesses of what God has done in my life. That they're, that they're coming down there and, and, and surround me. Here again, the body of Christ, the local church coming around, being there, being able to walk with me and not just say that they're there, but they're there, they're, they're present, coming down there to stand. And you know what? They began to share with tears, and it was breaking my heart to hear their, their hearts to be able to speak, you know, what, I, what, what, what God has done through my life into theirs. And so we're, we're in the courtroom, and the, the prosecutor ends up giving me a plea agreement for a couple of years and says, you know, we're willing to, to do this. So I signed it. And then the judge goes back for a recess and comes back and says, I'm not going to accept that plea agreement. And, he's, and he says, the only plea agreement I'm going to accept is a 20-year sentence, an open 20. That means that his hands are free, that he could give me 20 years. And he said, that's the only thing that I'm going to accept. And I said, okay, well, I'm, I signed it. You know, I, I came down here to be able to face this thing, so here I am, you know. And the judge is, you know, he, you know he's asking some different questions. And he's like, you know, the, the question that I was thinking about, he's like, how are you, in, how are you going into jails and prisons preaching responsibility and leadership, but you're, you're on the run from a felony warrant. How do you do that? And I just, I just stopped right in my tracks. I had no idea, you know, I didn't know what to say. I mean, I, I had no idea what to say, actually. And I just stood there looking at him, and he's like, I know it's going to be a tough question, but, you, you know, you're going to have to answer it. And he says, but I want you to answer it from a perspective of your faith. How do you do that? So I was standing there, and I was thinking, and I thought about the day before. I was meeting with my attorney, and we were sitting down, and we were talking about what, what was going to happen in court. And as, as all this is going on, it was, it was, there was nobody in the courtroom at this time. And through this court process, different jail officials and court officials were coming in from different doorways. Like there's a side door here. Somebody's coming in because people are testifying of what God has been doing. They're talking about it. Another person comes in. And then before you know it, like there's this environment happening. And it was terrifying for me. These officials are coming in and they want to see. They're coming to see. They're hearing about what, what God was doing through our lives and through our ministry. And just they're wanting to come and see and what was going to happen. And th by, th by the time we're at to this point, there's all these different officials just in the courtroom sitting around waiting and seeing and watching and listening and and I and I'm thinking about this 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 the day before with my attorney and he said you know a lot of people I you know I have a lot of clients and they're always trying to talk in the courtroom and I tell them not to say anything that's what they pay me for like just be quiet let me do my job you're going to want to talk but you're going to say something that's going to get you locked up you need to just be quiet you know and and he says, but Scott, with you, I want you to tell the truth because the truth is going to set you free. The truth is going to set you free. And I remembered that in that moment. And I told the judge, I said I was afraid. 
because I knew that I had committed crimes that 10 years ago and I was trying to forget about it. I was hoping in the back of my mind that was a fear that was there that like I just w- was trying to do my best to live my life a different way for God and, and, and God was doing all these incredible things and I was like, you know, and I was afraid. I was afraid to come down here and face it and, you know, it took this amount of years and this time for me to just have the confidence in myself and to believe in God that I could just come down here and face it and whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And I just said that I was afraid. I said progress had stopped in my life and I want to move forward in my life so I'm here and I'm, I'm, I'm ready to face whatever's going to happen. And then the, the judge starts talking about, you know, different statistics and he says, you know, the Apostle Paul did a lot of great work while he was in prison. Do you agree? I was, I was like, yes, <laughs> reluctantly, <laughs> and, and I said, yes, I, I agree, and he says, do you think you could do a lot of great work while you're in prison, and I said, yes, I, I, I believe that I can, and, uh, you know, when we were, when I was planning to make this trip, that my, my pastors at the time, I, the lead pastors of the church, they would go down to Florida for vacation every year. And they would go to Disney and they would, they would, they would spend like a couple of weeks down there and just with their family. So when I got all this news and I'm like, all right, I got to go face this. Being that there's such busy people, I planned my trip to go down there to, to get a plane, to get a flight and to turn myself in around the time that they were going to be there. So if I could get a court date that they could drive over and come and be there with court with the other people that were flying on planes to come down there to witness with me. So they, they, it ended up working out. So they were there, and some of our friends from church and, and, and our pastors were there, and then other people got on planes that came there. So we're at this moment, and, and, you know, and the judge is like, he's like, you know, there, a lot of people come and go on the docket. He's like, you have an interesting story, and, you know, it's not uncommon for people to come and turn themselves in and, you know, and do uh, what you're doing here. But he said, you know, but with all that being said, he said, the best outcome is, is that I'm going to terminate these charges. And he said, I'm going to release you immediately. And he said, but the only downside is, is that I know that your pastors and your friends have taken away from their, their vacation at Disney to come here and be with Courtney. The only downside is, is that I'm going to sentence you to go do your time at Disney with your pastors and your family. Now get out of here. Come on. Isn't, that, isn't God good? Isn't he amazing that he would do something like that? So here it is that God is just parting the Red Sea, that I came down there, that, you know, faith, faith not tested can't be trusted, and, and God did it. He did the heavy lifting. He was just asking me to go. There's somebody here today that you got a mountain in front of you right now, and God's saying a little bit of faith can go a long way in his kingdom. A little bit of faith that this was a huge mountain, and I, and I believe God that I was, that I believe that God was strong enough that he was able, and the kindness of God, there he was again, the kindness of God. I didn't deserve it. What I, what I believe about the cross is, is, you know, when I was in that courtroom, that you're guilty, but you're free to go. Isn't that, isn't that a part of the gospel of, of, of the cross? That you're guilty, but you're free to go. That's what happened in that courtroom. You're guilty, but you're free to go. Because the kindness of God, the grace of God came in there and intervened. When I should have got 20 for the life that I was living or more, here's God liberating. Because here's what God loves to do. God rejoices to set a person free so he can set them loose. 
He wants to set us free so he can set us loose. He doesn't want to set us free so we can sit down and be spectators in the body of Christ. He wants to set us free to set us loose, to be a part of his body, to be active in the body of Christ and to be able to move and to do these things. And God did this for me. God did this for me. The kindness of God reached out and brought me out of that dark place and into the light. You know, God has done so many things. I began to write a book called Behind the Wire, A Prisoner's Journey to the Pulpit. Well, I was at this, at this time when I turned myself in. I felt God was telling me to write a book. I've wrote that book now, and it's back there on the table. It's called Behind the Wire, A Prisoner's Journey to the Pulpit. And, we've, and I've wrote it as a, as a devotional to help people that are struggling in destructive lifestyles. We've been, we've been blessed to be able to donate thousands of copies around the prison system. We've been blessed. About a year after my book came out, I got a friend request on Facebook. And it was my son that he had found me. Come on. He was 12 years old and I was shocked that he even knew anything about me because I was, he was a year and a half the last time I had seen him. And he had reached out and I was, I said, I said, does your mom know about this? And, and she actually didn't. So I said, you know, get a hold of your mother. Uh, within a short amount of time, I was on the phone with her. And God, God did a miracle. Only something that God can do. And uh, she, she, she allowed a meeting to happen. And that, that relationship was restored. That I was able to get back in my son's life. There it is, the kindness of God again. I didn't deserve it, but here I was. I was able to get connected with my son, and I, I showed him the, my book on the, where I dedicated my book and his name in there, and it just touched his heart so deeply because he was worried how I felt about him. And when I, when I showed him and told him how much I, that he means to me, he said, all he could say is, this changes everything. This changes everything. So God is in the he's, he's in the works of just turning things around, even the worst of circumstances somehow for good. We try to put our minds around it, but God is so outside of our range of thinking that God is doing his best work right outside of your limitations. Outside of your limitations. You know, God has opened up so many doors to my wife and I that, uh, that about, you know, after the, the book was out for a little while, a movie production company, a faith-based movie production company got a hold of my book called Graham Family Films. Dr. Ben Graham is the, the president of this movie production company. He's the grandson of the late Billy Graham. And they decided to, to produce a film about my life called Parted by Grace. Come on, isn't God good? Isn't he good? He's so kind. He's so kind, and he's so good, and he's near to those that are struggling, that those that are broken in heart, that God is so near, that he's so present. You know, Michael W. Smith is playing my pastor in the film. Joey Lawrence is playing me, and I just can't believe this year that it's coming out. It's, it's, they haven't given us a date yet, but it's, it's coming out this year. It's coming out this year. Pardon my grace. Be looking for it as it comes out. That God is turning it around for good. About nine months ago, I was sharing my testimony. I was sharing my testimony in a prison. And there was a, there was a man that was uh, an older man that had never been to prison before. And he heard my story. And God really ministered 
to his heart through my testimony and through the gospel. And he ended up going back to his dorm and found a copy of my book on his dorm. There was a setup by God. That was his first church service while he was in prison. He decided to go, and he got to hear the goodness of the Lord. And then he went back to his dorm and then found a copy of my book. Come on, there's no coincidence in God's world, is there? Right? God was remaining. I don't even think he was remaining anonymous in that moment, right? His name was written all over that. And it really impacted his life. He ended up getting a hold of his family, and they started following me on social media. They got a copy of my book. They read it, and they just began to follow, and I never even met this guy. Never, never, never met him. Didn't know his family was following us on social media. And then uh, that family, his family, happened to be his daughter and his son-in-law. They got a hold of me, and they said, hey, you know, we, we want to meet with you and talk to you about some things. So they ended up meeting with us. And that is Keith and Danielle Kemp. They're over in, in Candleburg. And they're like, they told us that there was a church that's dissolving in Lagodi. And they're looking to transfer their, their assets to another organization. And we were thinking about you. And we know the board, we know the board members. And we, we want to connect you with them because here's there's a balance that's owed on this there's a chapel there's a parsonage there's a fellowship hall a youth building all on an acre of property over there and we believe that god is telling us to clear that debt so this church can dissolve and, and bring all their assets into your organization and we're like say what <laughs> And they're like, we, we could see that you having some kind of place for transitional housing, a recovery center for men. And that was our heart. That was our prayer. My wife and I were just moving fully into our prison organization behind the wire ministries that we had founded. And we were, we were like two months away of stepping off full time into that when we got this word from the Lord. We're like, all right, Lord, we heard you right, okay? <laughs> we heard you right. So long story short, we went there. They paid off the debt. We transferred the assets, and now we are fully committed. We're living out in the parsonage. We've been remodeling, rebuilding. We're doing all these things, and within a month or two, we're going to start housing men coming home from incarceration because we know, I know how vital it is when they're coming home from incarceration. They need a connection point. They need a new set of people to be there for them. Will you stand to your feet with me? Will you stand to your feet with me? They need a new set of people. I needed a new set of people. And as the body of Christ came around me, and as I began to walk with them, and as there was some consistency, then family and friends, they started to come around because they needed to see it before they were going to believe it. So we've, we've dedicated our lives. My wife and I have dedicated our lives Devin is with us now. His wife is with us. His, his wife, Allie, and they're with us, and they're a part of our staff, and we're committed to being those new set of people to give those guys a chance, to give them the opportunity that they're hungry for, that they're desperate for, and we're going to help them get on their feet and be able to live this life out practically on a day-to-day -day basis with a lot of Christian curriculum, and we're going to help them get jobs, and we're going to help them get started by getting started. We're going to help them get started by getting started. Here's what I want to do. I want to do something a little different. I was talking to your pastors. I'm just so grateful to be here this morning, to be in God's house with all of you. I want to do something. Devin's going to lead in a song called Here Again. 
And here's, here's my challenge to you this morning. I'm going to have my wife come up, Daniel, if you could come up here for a moment. Would you meet me here? Would you meet my wife and I here? If you're, if you're that person that's struggling, or if you're that family member or that friend that you're willing to believe, you just heard a story of the kindness of God. I, want you, I hope that you're encouraged this morning, that if you have a family member, you have a loved one that's been hurting, that's been struggling that's been hurting, that's been struggling, and you're hurting right along with them, and in the front of your mind, you're like, Jesus can do it. But in the back of your mind, you're like, I'm not sure, I don't know. He's, been, he's went so far, she's went so far, I just don't know if this is even possible. We wanna challenge you to meet us here, to meet us here and believe. We wanna intercede for them. If you, if you could come forward, and as he sings this song, we're gonna we're gonna agree that we're gonna intercede. There's something very powerful about two or more gathering in His name, in agreeing and interceding on the behalf of someone. Whether you're here and it's you, or it's somebody that, that that's been hurting, that's been hurting you, that's been hurting themselves. Maybe they're incarcerated somewhere right now. What God would do for me? There's life after the devastation. There's life after the agony. How do I know? Because He did it for me. God, the kindness of God wrapped around me, the grace of God wrapped around me, and we, we sit back and we just can't even believe it. We were laying on the chapel floor on our property the other, you know, not too long ago, and my wife and I were just laying there, and we were just talking, and we were just rejoicing, and we were just celebrating. And I'm like, she's, she's like, Scott, you used to be homeless and panhandle for change, and now we're, now we're in the church. Look at the church. God gave us a church to be able to minister to people. He gave us a ministry. Look at what, look at all that God has done. The kindness and the grace of God is just so big and so deep, so rich. Will you meet us here? Will you come here again? Maybe you've come to the altar many times. The song is here again. Will you come here again? Will you believe with us?